Hi, how are you? Well, my name's Debbie. I'm a wonderful senior journalist for the British Blacklist. Fantastic. <laughs> I'd just like to congratulate you for your great honour this year. You got knighted. Do you think you'll be Sir Steve, Sir Stephen? <laughs> it's very nice to get this accolade, but then, then, and then the day, you know, it's just about the work. You know, that that's it. All of your films have been very well received. Even Widows, which seemed to be a slight departure for you, it opened the BFI London Film Festival in 2018, as did the Small Axe series. I was there, actually, for the opening gala. I heard your words just before Mangrove screened, and I have to say I was very moved. I was also quite intrigued because we're about the same age. I'm actually from the opposite end of London. I'm from the northeast. So I'm always really interested to hear about people's parallel experiences from other parts of London. So you're a West Londoner. I'd really like to know how that process made you feel when you saw not only to see the stories come to life, to see those artists embody those characters in the way that they did, because I felt that they did an amazing job. All, all three of those three, three films, Mangrove, Lovers Rock, and Red Wine Bell, True Stories. Mangrove always gonna be the first film. I didn't really know anything about a Mangrove until maybe about 15 years ago. And Rodan Gordon, one of the Mangrove Nine, one of the main people in Mangrove Nine, was one of the best friends of my father. And they never spoke. I, never, I mean, as in, I never knew anything about about what Roland did. You know, I didn't even know who he was. So there's been a lot of stories which, in fact, were I didn't know about until after the fact because people didn't speak about them really. They didn't speak about them possibly because a lot of the trauma of them. There was a lot of PST you know, after the event, and you know, assuming people, you know, the elders are not actually forthcoming to children. So I found those stories out in a, in a roundabout manner. And, you know, I didn't even know Ronald Gordon was a, was a very dear friend of my father's until fairly recently. So it's, it's very strange how people didn't really speak about things which they felt, I think because of the pain of, of the aftermath of those things. Because now I was very lucky that I could make them heroes. And, and they were obviously heroes in the community, but not all the community knew who they were. And, you know, for me, it wasn't enough that they were uh, heroes within the community. It was, it was, they, they were national heroes as far as I'm concerned. You know, with the process of writing with Alistair Simmons uh, was great. Developing it and, with, you know, with Helen Hart, was, was just, she was an amazing researcher. Because again, all these stories need to, need to be researched, need to, need to speak to people. A lot of things were very first-hand. One had to sort of delve into because, you know, it's very painful, these stories. You know, now it seems very victorious, but then there was a lot of pain. And the second story, Love is What, was based on your aunt's experience, is that right? My uncle used to leave the back door open of my grandmother's house because my grandmother wouldn't let my aunt out of the house to go to Blue. So you know, she used to sneak out you know, on, on a Saturday night and end up home on a Sunday morning. So there's a kind of a Cinderella story to that. And you don't, you know, a lot of people used to work for the weekend. You know, black people, you know, just to deal with a lot of racism, a lot of nonsense in, in the week just to get themselves through and they used to live for the weekend, live for the blues. So that's the story I really wanted to tell obviously a lot on that female aspect of being black in Britain and falling in love. I mean, that's what we do, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of, of the ritual of the dance. And then Red, White and Blue was Leroy Logan's story. This man who was a research scientist who decided to become a policeman. He became a policeman during a time when it wasn't necessarily popular to be a black. And at the same time, his father was brutally beaten up 
by the police. And there was a pending court case where the police actually charged his father with aggregated assault. And his father was being up so badly that when Lee Wei went to visit his father in the hospital, he found out he didn't recognize him. I mean, was that what drew you to that story? Did you know him at all, or did you just know of the story? The whole, the whole of Small Acts, the, 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 the directory of Small Acts, we start in 68 and we end in 84. Um, for me, um, 84 is when Jim Leroy Logan sort of got to his the situation of joining the police force. And for me, Leroy growth and development was stunted because of who he was as, as, as a black man, even though he was a founding member of the Black Police Association, he, he got quite high in ranks, but he should have got higher. And it's like him trying to integrate into the police force not to change it. That was his mission. And the fact that he was sort of held back even though he made it to a certain point. For me, that's where we are right now in 2020, 2000, going into 2021, where we want to be a part of the, in fact, we are a part of the art every day, but we want to be an active part within the establishment of this country. And I think there's certain people in certain situations who are limiting our, our progress. I mean, look at the film industry, limited access to jobs, limited access to possibilities. And you know, when I go into post-production house, you know, the last three, four films, I hardly see any black people in post-productive facilities. I mean, so the fact of the matter is, you know, these kind of strange, these, these, these spaces are completely utterly white spaces when surrounding, look at, look at London, London isn't particularly, you know, white in that sense, it's a multicultural situation. So when you see an environment which is excluded of people of color, then you know, obviously there's something not, not right. It's, it's quite visibly obvious. Did that drive your decision to move from cinema into no. Television? No, I don't react like that. That's not okay. why I'm an artist. So therefore, my, my choices are, is artistic choices, not reactionary choices. Um, in a, in a the experience for me of each film was very cinematic. It was very expansive and drew me in. You know, we, we were in the Cannes Film Festival. The New York, we opened the New York Film Festival. The London Film Festival, we opened in Rome for their movies, which yeah. are on TV. Um, and in this time of the pandemic, when people can't get to the movies, well, very fortunate people see them on, on, on the television, yeah. What I did find interesting, looking at Mangrove and Red, White and Blue in particular, at the end of Mangrove, you had the, the qualifying statements that gave us some information about how the stories went on beyond the end of the film. But with Red, White and Blue, as Leroy and Kenneth had their toast at the end it finished and we, we don't really know what happened afterwards you could have done the same with mangrove but you didn't you let it hang with the, with that toast what i offer as an artist and what i offer as a filmmaker is what history books can't offer that's to do with feelings that's to do with tone that's to do with an emotional response to a situation so i'm not a historian if you want to find that information out pick up any book or Google it on the on the internet. My job is as an artist is to create emotional experiences through drama. That is my remit. So I don't make documentaries. I, I make feature films. That's a totally different thing. Or if you want information, you can go and Google it. But my thing is to bring into the equation things that you cannot get or access from those particular formats. It's a different film, also. It's the tone is different. You mean by different? Well, I mean, Mangrove is a political drama. It's a different time. I mean, Mangrove is very political. This is a black, black person, you know, man, 
joining the Metropolitan Police at a time where it wasn't particularly uh, fashionable or has ever been fashionable, I don't know. Or it was it was a very heightened time in the black relationship with, uh, with, with the police force. Well, I loved it. I thought it had a real subtlety to it. I myself have a, a science background in institutions that were very white. And I recognised a lot of subtlety there that I think people that, that have experience in those kinds of institutions will recognize precisely and yeah. I, that's what you pick up in film that's what the film can offer you yeah. the, the yeah. subtleties, as you already said that that's what it's about it's about the things that are in between the words of history books yeah. even within literature there's limitations on words even you know where if you look at somewhere an eyebrow raise could say so much more than you could ever find. So that's that's my room, and that's my uh, field of expertise. You know, it's like music. It's like music is so abstract. If you can write a description of, of uh, uh, a kind of blue, I don't know how you do that, because when you hear it, it can be totally different. Personally, I feel it's John Boyega's strongest performance to date. I thought he was absolutely mesmerizing. Obviously, that's down to his talent. I think a lot of it is down to you. How did you find working with him? John was hungry. I think after Star Wars, after, after reacting, he wanted to act. John was hungry. John was hungry. And I was hungry for him. I wanted him. I remember the first time I saw him was in Attack the Block. And I wanted, you know, since then, I remember my wife saying, this guy's like Denzel. I said, yeah. You know, he's, she said, she, you know, he, he has this Denzel. For there's something about him that can offer so much. He's a movie star. I mean, but that's what you mean. You mean that he is a, he's a great actor, but also he's a movie star. It's different. He could be a great actor, but a movie star is someone that you root for from, from, from first time you see him on the camera. You believe in him, you want him to win. You see yourself in him. And that's what John had does. I think in Red, White and Blue, you know, don't forget he was making this at the same time as he had that, that speech he gave in the Black Matters uh, March, I think Hyde Park. So while, when he was making it, that speech happened and we, and we went back to shooting. So his performance in, in Red, White and Blue is intertwined with that speech he gave in, in, in Hyde Park. Um, and for me, he's like a Jack Nicholson character in, in a way, where, you know, Jack Nicholson had these amazing five films in the 70s. His anti-hero, as who he was as a person, was intertwined with the characters he was playing in films. So John, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he brought so much more to this picture than um, I could hope for. I have to say, Steve Toussaint as well. You know, I really don't want to get into hyperbole here, but I think, from the films that I have seen, I don't know whether someone added something to the Kool-Aid, but um, I think you all really hit the zone. I'm pretty sure it had to do with the subject matter. I think it had to do with your passion for the subject. I think it has to do with the time of history. I think it has to do with the governments currently governing the West. Letitia Wright, Sean Parks, you all did us really proud. You know, we started shooting this before George Floyd. We started shooting this before the pandemic. We started shooting this before there were all these unfortunate situations. But what there was in common, at least for me, was the fact that, look, for me, I wanted, I mean, the ambition of shooting five films is kind of obviously in any situation a bit daunting situation. But in some ways, I wanted to make up for the films I didn't get to see myself during this time, because these films are, are made for those periods in time. I never saw those films. I never saw The Mangrove film that should be made in 74, which couldn't have been made, of course, or, you know, the, the, the Lover's Rock or, or all the other films that we did, or Education, Alex Weedle. So the ambition was there, but also I realized that, you know, this now and ever, let's get on with it. So no, no game. So 
I wasn't taking any prisoners. Let's do this. Let's, let's do this right, you know. And I think people understood that. And then the student, where I was coming from, and I was, you know, I was going to take no nonsense. We had to bring ourselves. So, yeah, people had to up their game. I think a lot of people went to places they didn't know they had that, the capability of, of actually reaching. And I, I, that's what you want as an artist or, or as any kind of performer or even academic. You want to places you know you're capable of but haven't been before. And I think we, 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 we do that. At the opening gala, you, you said something like that, that when you saw some of the actors blossom unrestrained by any expectations of anything that had gone before, it was a really beautiful moment, actually, in, in the speech that you gave. Coming back to Lover's Rock, because it was very different. There wasn't an awful lot of dialogue. Lover's Rock relates very much to what you said, because for me, it was about those actors. And it was amazing about those actors. They, they knew they had a, a limitation within who they were because of, the, of who they were within that time frame of 1980, what they could do, what they couldn't do. They were very disciplined in doing that. But because they saw themselves in the environment of, of other Black people, other black women, or the director was black, or the DP was black, the sound man was black, they, they felt that they could be totally naturally themselves. When you get opportunity as an actor to be yourself, totally yourself on screen, and I think people bouncing off each other, that's why we had the, 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 the amazing energy we had in Lovers Rock. And I, I, I'll tell you this, you know, that would have happened without or with a camera. I was invited. It felt like it. I mean, I remember that. I have four older brothers. That was them. That skanking scene where the boys let loose, it almost felt voyeuristic to me. And I, no, 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 no. There was a participation. Y yes, yes. It's very important for me to clarify, not because of what yes. you said. Yes. People understand. Because yes. Chad of the DP is from Antigua, and he is a skater, and also he's a sailor. So there's an amazing sense of balance. But he understands the genre. So, you know, he was there with them. And then me pulling on my hands and knees, <laughs> pulling on the, 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 what was happening in front of the camera was happening behind the camera. It was a circle, it was a sphere. There was not, there was not one way to look at it. It was, it was a two-way mirror. It sounded like fun. It was, it was, it was, it was spiritual. It was really, it was like, it was, you, could, it, you know, when, it, when you're spiritual, there's nothing you can do that's wrong. No, no gesture, no moves, no, and also, but at the same time, to keep the, Restrained to keep their understanding that of the limitations of the time, though that's that's how amazing those actors were. They were geniuses. There's no no if buts or maybe's about it, you know. So you know. I am really looking forward to seeing Alex Weevil and Education. I, you know, thank you for bringing Josette Simon up to the fore in Education, and I'm looking forward to seeing the new talent in Alex Weevil. The storylines sound amazing. Most important thing is now. We need talent behind the camera. Absolutely. Producers, editors, directors, costume designers, designers, sound mixing, all the and all and all what goes on in post production. We get a lot of it. We get a lot of oh, what's the problem? Why are you because uh, all of these all, all these actors? But guess what? It's not enough actors. One, two, and it, and you get one or two chances, and that's it. You never see them again. But also the fact that you know, we need more people in post production and behind the camera. That's what we need. Thank you, Sister. Oh, pleasure. And congratulations. Uh, take care. Bye.